You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to another episode of Delirious Nomads. It is just getting more and more fun by the week. Um, I think we're finding our stride as podcasters since Matt and I didn't know what we were doing when we started, Uh, but we've been having some great conversations. They're getting better every week, and uh, I think this one's going to be one of the best yet. Uh, My good friend, well, maybe not my good friend yet, but he's becoming my good friend, Derek Green from Sepultura, who uh, is a neighbor of mine who I met uh, randomly at my restaurant sometime about a year ago. Oh, no, I guess it was before the pandemic, so a year and a half mm-hmm. ago. Um, and uh, we're just super excited to have you here, Derek. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Chris. This is great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. No, <laughs> seriously, it's really, I'm super, I, I get excited for all of them, but I don't know, I'm extra excited for this one. Wait, wait, break this down for me. Break this down for me. How do you guys randomly meet? How does that happen? You came to the restaurant with somebody that I know. Who was it? Paul, a tattoo artist. Oh, Paul Timmon, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> oh, who, by the way, Matt, we have to get on here as well because he has got stories for days. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. master of stories. <laughs> um, so it was Paul that brought you in. That, that's, that's yeah. Right. Well, it's funny because I've been such a fan of yours for so long. And, you know, you're, you, you know, I, like your voice and your, your persona is pretty intimidating. And then I met you and you're like the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely opposite. A lot of times people, uh say that you know like i would walk on the different side of the street if i saw you and i was like oh is that a compliment or (laughs) (laughs) no that happens all the time but uh yeah i come from a, a a family of very nice people believe it or not i've never seen i was just talking about this with a friend of mine where i've never seen my brother's uh, like five years older than I am. I've never seen him angry in my entire life, like upset at someone or really angry. And I've never seen my dad angry when he was alive. I've never saw him angry at anyone. Isn't your dad literally named, or wasn't he named friendly? Yes, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, growing up, I didn't, I didn't smoke weed or anything. So then people were just like, your dad has the coolest name, Friendly Green. It's so badass, man. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. <laughs> my my so I never met the man, unfortunately, but my wife's 
father's middle name was Smiley. So <laughs> apparently that was also uh, really? indicative to Friendly <laughs> and Smiley. So where did you grow up? Oh, I see a dog there. Yeah, that I'm, I'm dog sitting. Are you? Not, yeah, I'm dog sitting for Toby from uh, H2O. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as so one does. He, yeah, as one does. And so he just left now. And, and so now Stella's chilling with me. You've been connected with H2O for a long time. Like when I was digging into this podcast, I didn't realize how long you've been in the hardcore scene. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland. Yeah. I'll kill two birds with one stone with this question. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and my parents ended up moving to Shaker Heights, an area like a suburb of Cleveland around the eight, when I was probably around seven years old. And so it was my first encounter with actually living um, in a community where it was mixed of white people, Jewish people, Asian people, just completely mixed. Before then, I'd never knew any neighbors or friends who were other than black, you know, so it was really a different experience for me at first. But then it was one of the best places I could possibly grow up. Now that I've been away from there for so long, I moved from there to New York City. And then I joined the band around 97 was when I first went to Brazil. And that's when I moved from the US um, around that time. But I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, or Shaker Heights. Um, it's a really bizarre place compared to a lot of other places in the U.S. Um, I think even Reese Witherspoon, she did a TV show called Little Fires Everywhere based off of a book. And that was based around the suburb that I grew, it, grew up in. I'm going to kind of skip far ahead, but, you know, I'm Portuguese. Santos, very Portuguese name. I unfortunately <laughs> don't speak Portuguese. My grandparents, um, my, my dad was... My dad was in my life for a ton of, of, of my life. And um, my grandparents, uh, you know, tried to teach me, but I was a child and then, you know, they passed away when I was really small. And I just, I, it's one of the, it's one of my, like one day when I have, you know, when I retire from the 18 things that I do, I, I really want to learn how to speak Portuguese, but you're, you're fluent, right? I'm pretty good, man. I, I can. So what, how, mm -hmm. how did that come about? Well, I didn't speak any Portuguese when I joined the band, the internet had just started when I joined the band. So I had to go to the library to get library books about Brazil to figure out what was going on there because I'd never been there before. And I'd never heard anybody speak Portuguese um, and know it. So being in the band and spending so much time around those guys, they're always speaking Portuguese to each other. So I really caught a lot of uh, terminology and slang through listening to them and imitating that. I have a really uh, good ear for imitating imitating voices and doing voices. So people assumed that I spoke perfect Portuguese, but as time went on and living there, I had to learn just because it was impossible to survive without learning Portuguese and living in Sao Paulo, which is a city with over 20 million people uh, inhabiting it. So it was bigger than any city I'd ever lived in, in my entire life, bigger than any city in the US. And um, so I was living alone and had to learn to get around, you know, to go to the bank, to go shopping, you know, to do anything. Um, I just had to really sit down and learn. But it was difficult because a lot of people know that I'm in Sepultura and a lot of people wanted to speak English with me. And they love to practice their English in Brazil. So I became very lazy. It took longer to learn it, which was, it took about two years to really get a firm understanding. But I'm still learning a lot today, but I can definitely understand Brazilian Portuguese. And um, especially from Sao Paulo. 
And in Portugal, it's it just sounds entirely different to me, and it's very difficult. Mm. Hey, it's so interesting. Uh, maybe I'll take lessons from you. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. You come back with a boca suja, which is dirty mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember, let's see, un blas en la cara, which means I'll slap you in the head. I remember that from growing up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so your family is from like Portugal. My father was. My, mo- my, mother's, my mother's side is from Ireland. My, my father's side was from the, actually the Azores, right. um, which is the island, you know, right off Portugal. That's um, amazing. Yeah. But, it's beautiful. You know, when my father grew up, he didn't, he didn't know how to speak English until he was probably around seven or eight years old. But unfortunately, I didn't get around to me. But one day, and I've been to Portugal and I love it there, um, but I was only there for a year. Yeah, it's fantastic. I was able to get by with, 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 uh, and it's funny because I'm exploring opportunities to open restaurants in Mexico right now. And I have a pretty decent, like I have, I speak good kitchen Spanish, but um, I might not have to, I might have to expand that a little bit. (laughs) Claro, Señor Santos. Claro. (laughs) So let's get, let's go to food for a second. Um, so you're back in, so you're back in California. So when did you move back from Brazil to California? About two years ago, I decided to make that move. It's very difficult. I had to establish everything, you know, as far as a place to live, you know, credit. <laughs> um, I just had to build everything back again. Um, and a lot of things had changed over 20 years in the U.S. I mean, I was living in New York City before I left and that city, enti- you know, changed entirely. And then I decided to move to the West Coast, which I'd never been to before in my entire life, as far as I have never lived on the West Coast. So, it was really appealing to me to come to L.A. because I have a lot of friends from New York that ended up moving to L.A. And um, it was just really uh, attractive to me. You know, I mean, I've been coming to L.A. for shows and for NAM convention. And it, it just really appealed to me. There was so much going on, creativity and a, a great energy coming from the city. And I hadn't seen before. So it was something I wanted to try. And also, I didn't want to live in snow uh, ever again after living in Brazil for so long. Um, I grew up with horrible winters and snow days and it was beautiful for a week or so, but uh, it's, it's, it was never really for me. You know, I always kept thinking as a kid, I was like, I have this like African blood. There's no way I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, I grew up in New England, uh, which is very snowy in the winter. And then I lived in New York City for 27 years and I moved here last May. It's been a year, a little more over a year. And uh, I, I miss New York. I miss my friends. I get luckily because of my business, I get to go there a week, a month or so, or every five or six weeks. But man, the weather here, like, it's like, why would you ever want to live anywhere else? The weather here is just unbelievable. Know, Meanwhile, Matt's in London. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, especially as you, you as you get older as well, you know, it's like you want to live in a place that's, you know, comfortable. Yeah. And so sure. I, I feel I definitely am feeling that here. So knowing that you were going to, I mean, that you're still obviously in Sepultura and you guys released a new record and I guess it came out in 19, right? Yep. Like how did the band feel about you leaving and going to LA when you're still part of the band? Well, I, I probably didn't do it in the best way, which was my fault just because there was so much going on and moving around and not feeling really stable in Brazil. I, I had been there for so many years, but I wasn't really a citizen yet. Uh, there was really clarity with um about visas and things like that. It was always a battle to have or some 
are really confusing to know what's happening with like an artist visa that didn't really exist there. Um, I heard from so many different people about visas. And then in the end, they ended up dropping it after years and years of like going back and forth with like being worried about my visa. Now Americans don't need a visa to go to Brazil. And so uh, there were certain things. There was just, I, I wanted to, I, I started to miss the U.S. a lot. I started to miss my family and friends. And it'd been such a long time. And, and I, I just wanted to, to come back and have that, that, that connection again. Um, but I will always have a connection with Brazil and, and Sao Paulo. And always, you know, it's just like anywhere I go and I hear people speaking Portuguese, I start to miss Brazil. And I start to think about how much, how much of a part of my life, you know, it's been, you know, being there and, and being involved in the culture. With each podcast that goes by, this comes up a little bit less and less, but I'm going to bring it up. Obviously, I know you, you had me as a guest on your um, what you guys were doing during the pandemic, but you want to just kind of talk a little bit about how you guys pivoted during the pandemic? Like you're saying, it's difficult being in different countries and working together, but I felt really confident that I, I could live apart from the band and, and, and work and, and do an album or at least come up with ideas and be a part of the process of creating an album, be, even being in LA. So keeping in that connection as far as being far away, staying connected, um, we wanted to have that connection with fans. You know, we had just written an album. We didn't want to lose um, the, the groundwork that we worked on to, to get to where we were. Um, and so we decided that we would meet, talk with each other on Wednesdays. And then it grew into, hey, let's have guests on. Hey, let's jam Sepultura songs. Hey, let's jam these Sepultura songs with our guests. Um, and let's have different guests, not only about music, but about things that we're interested in. And it just grew from there to really have this connection online for fans to engage and be a part of it. Um, we were also helping out certain organizations with raising money and awareness to uh, certain causes that we feel strongly about. So this was great for us to, you know, it got us motivated um, to communicate with each other about ideas, to keep that flow going, and also to have that connection with fans, um, even though everyone was at home stuck in their houses. But it was a really positive way to, to have that connection. The name of it was called Sepul Quarta. So that's Quarta Feira is Wednesday in Portuguese. So Sepul Quarta. Thank you again for having me on as a guest. That was a yeah. really special moment for me. So when you talk about some of the causes that you were able to raise money for, um, you know, you want to talk a little bit about, about those causes here? Yeah, there was particularly one that we did with Amazon Frontlines. And that was a, a page that I was looking at on, on the gram as the kids call it. And, uh, <laughs> as, as and Matt also, calls it. And I'm the doc, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the gram and I really loved, like I, I love photography, I love photos, and it really caught my eye a lot of photos from this site primarily, um, just of indigenous people, the Amazon. And then I dove into it and a friend of mine really who turned me on about it was a, a guy from Ecuador. Um, and he said, it's a great organization that uh, need a lot of support and they're doing a lot for indigenous people against loggers and against agricultural companies that are like bearing in on their land. Um, just giving people awareness of what indigenous people need and what they've been doing for years and just have a background of them. So after watching and looking at that, I made this connection of reaching out to them and having them, maybe they would be involved in, like to be involved in creating a video for Sepultura. During the whole 
writing process, there was one of the ideas of the songs I had was called Guardians of the Earth. And it was really written about indigenous people and their struggle and their fight. And it just happened to be line up with the Amazon front lines where that was something I was imagining, you know, while writing the song. And it just made a, seemed like a perfect connection. So reaching out to them just on a whim, um, it worked out. They wanted to be a part of it. They contributed a lot of footage that they had already shot. And we put that together with footage that we shot in our own homes and created um, a song or video for uh, Guardians of the Earth, the name of the actual song of the, that we did for Quadra, the album. So now I completely forgot what question you asked me. <laughs> I was just asking, you know, you said that you were able to use Supple Quadra to, to support some, some of the organizations, charitable organizations. That's right. I knew it was on the path, you know, it's still there. So that was one of our, that was a long, elaborate story, but that was one of the first ones. There was a mental awareness episode that we had where we had Derek Kess, who's an incredible artist. Yeah, I know who that is. I have his book. Great book. He's done a lot of work with bands um, in the past. He did a front, an album cover for us as well. Uh, Roarback was the album. Um, but I've known him from Cleveland. You know, he's originally from Cleveland. I grew up looking at his artwork from flyers going to shows. So we had him on and a, and a person from American Mental Awareness, I believe it was. So that was something that we wanted to bring up just because everybody being at home, you know, stuck inside. A lot of people are facing a lot of depression, never being in a situation like that. Um, and we felt that was really important. Another one was uh, an actual skater we met who was working with children in Afghanistan. And so we had a lot of professional skaters come on and talk about his cause of really um, getting kids involved in skating there and something that where they feel like kids again. And it was really cool to hear that a lot of women or girls there were more involved than the guys in that sport and they were doing even better than the guys were. So this was really exciting to have him on and talk about what he's been working or, or who he's been working with, uh, all the kids and everything, and also have all these um, incredible pro old school skaters and new school skaters from Kristen Hisoy to Bob Burnquist from Brazil. Um, we also had uh, Steve Caballera, so it was like a mix of, of really interesting people. Matt, I don't mean to not give you any oxygen here. I just have You're so good. many questions. <laughs> I know. So I'm not just saying this to say it. I'm saying it because it's, it's true. I, I love Quadra. I think it's one of the best Sepultura releases, you know, that, that's ever been released. Thank you. Assuming you agree uh, that it's some of the strongest <laughs> material. I mean, I think it's some of the strongest, you know, some of the songs in particular, I think are just, they, they match up with anything the band ever did with any lineup. How does the band function in a way where they can still produce these incredible moments and incredible songs after all this time? I think it's really our, our passion and love for the music and, and being able to communicate with each other helps tremendously. And having everybody on the same page of wanting to achieve the same goals helps also. But it's really that passion, that drive that uh, I believe keeps us very creative. And since we're all on the same page with that, then we never want to recreate the same album. We're always into trying different producers or, or studios. You know, it doesn't really, there's no limitations as far as what we're thinking or where we can go. You know, we definitely don't like to hold back and we like to, you know, 
put ourselves outside of the box to really try to not make it so easy, but challenging in a way, you know, that's what really got us into music. And I believe that there's a combination of these things along with Aloy Casagrande, our drummer now, who's been with us for quite some time. He was a key element into creating, you know, some really um, interesting sounds, uh, new sounds, and, and to really give the band some youthful energy, um, I think also helped. So I think this combination of these many things really contribute to keeping the albums very interesting and different from each other. So now the record came out when? 2019, like fall? Or 2000, no, I'm sorry, 2000, we recorded in 2019. It came out 2020 in February. Oh, perfect timing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we had a tour set up and I was in Brazil uh, rehearsing and we were ready to go. We had a great set list and Sacred Reich, Crowbar um, were the the two main bands that we were going to go on tour with in the U.S. And it was the first time that we're going to start a tour in the U.S. in a really long time because usually it's in Europe. And, um, you know, we were just so excited about it. And then you know, it slowly came down to Phil from uh, Sacred Reich was just like so he's sad. He's a yeah. great guy. And he was just so sad. And like, I don't think I can go. I have pre-existing conditions. Doctors mm-hmm. don't think it's a really good idea. And then right after that, like it was, you know, um, everything being canceled, the whole tour. And yeah. So where does that leave you now? Are you picking the tour back up or are you going to go? Yes. Yeah. What's good is now in November, December, we have a tour planned for Europe. Um, and so far, that's going to be ha- that's going to happen. And then we rescheduled the tour for the U.S. next year for March. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to do this material because we haven't had a chance to play any of these songs really live except for one song, Isolation. And we got to play that in Rock and Rio. And that was the first time ever. So that doesn't really count but i mean we have a full set list ready to go and we were going to play at least six new songs if not seven you know we, we found in the past that it's important to play new songs not be afraid of it you know a lot of bands i would go see and we would do it ourselves to play maybe two or three new songs because people would just feel like kind of waiting um or they didn't know the song that well but now the album's been out for a year and a half almost it's going to be almost two years I mean, we're going to play those new songs and we were going to play them anyway, just because, um, you know, it, it, I, I think it's important for people to, to hear yeah. new material live. You know, it's, it's what you're, you're out there doing, you know, is supporting that album. So it's important to play those songs live. Yeah, I can't wait. So you said March for the U.S.? Yes. That's amazing. Cannot wait. Okay, let's talk about lifestyles. How long have you been a vegan? For about, uh, it's been maybe four years. I haven't, eat, I haven't eaten meat since I was... 15. It's been a long time since I've had any flesh or anything like that. So when you were 15, because you were involved with some pretty okay. interesting people in the hardcore scene at that point. Exactly. How, yeah. So like, how did that come about? What was that like? Was that like from the Harry Krishna thing or like, how, where did that come from? Well, definitely one of the, had a huge influence from that scene, the hardcore scene, punk rock scene. So one of the first shows that I saw at like 14 was Cro-Mags. And they had all these books at their show about Krishna, about being vegetarian. And I was 
really into reading books. I bought these books. I'd never seen books at a show before, and I thought that was interesting. There were so many bands coming through Cleveland, passing through from New York. I ended up becoming friends with a lot of those hardcore bands. And the band that I was in called Outface, we opened up for a lot of those bands. So that's how we developed the friendship. Even before I moved to New York, I already had friends who were born and raised there. And I knew that it would be an easier time to move to New York because I already knew people there involved in music. So from that, it like really grew. You know, I really tested the idea of becoming a vegetarian um, at a very young age because I thought it was rebellious. And I was like, and I didn't believe totally. it. I was like, it's just not going to change my life. Let me try this and see what's up. You know, and a lot of my friends worked at uh, health food stores in, in New York and they were vegetarian or vegan and I did it. And then I just never stopped. It just continued. And I started to learn more about the industry. I started to learn more about the health ramifications. I learned about how it has an impact on the environment, all these different things. I started to learn, become more knowledgeable about the subject and the plant-based lifestyle, dropping off the of uh, buying leather and supporting certain companies and just, you know, yeah. there was just many things that just kept opening up for me. It just makes sense. So when you did that first Outface tour in like in Europe in like 87, <laughs> right? That must have been like fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, you know, a lot of bands will say their first tour is the most unforgettable and the funnest. Um, but you got to remember at the time, at that time, I mean, I'd never been outside of the country. I'd never been on an airplane before. Um, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, so I just had a lot of positive ideas. You know, I was just so happy to be sure. able to go to Europe and play a show. I just never imagined that. So everything was great for me. I was just like, okay. this is amazing. They have free drinks, you know, at the <laughs> show. They're giving us free drinks, you know, and we're like hiding yeah. them in our jacket and stuff. And I mean, it was, I mean, I flew on Pakistani air, you know, I was just, I had no idea what I was, I was just like, wow, yeah, you know, Pakistani air, I got my own bottle of like whiskey and I thought I was going to get free drinks on the plane. And um, they're just like, oh, we do not drink on Pakistani air. You know, <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Islam. Okay. I get it. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was an eye opening experience, you know, this totally. Is, um, but it was great, man, sleeping on people's floors and playing like really crappy venues. And I, I mean, it was a learning experience and traveling to so many different countries. I just had a blast. <laughs> That's great. I always just was so curious about the hardcore scene at that time because it was so like, I guess this is how we do it. Mm. <laughs> and like there wasn't the infrastructure there is now where like I came up and it existed because of you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Wow, wow. I mean, it, it was it was really a lot of people that, you know, we were just doing it ourselves a lot of times, yeah. you know, like the booking, you know, kids within kids, um, reading Maximum Rock and Roll and things like that, where we would get insight on what's going on in the rest of the country, um, tape trading, figuring out who can stay at whose house, you know, writing letters to different people reading the backs of albums and seeing who the bands thanked. You know, that's how we learned about certain bands. You know, it's like, oh, they thank this band. I'm going to check it out. Like, go to the record store, try to find that record. You know, it was really, yeah. you know, it was like everybody doing it themselves. So it was definitely harder, but it was a lot of fun. You know, once you made friends, 
you really made friends. I mean, they were just there for life. You're like, oh my God, there's somebody else that's a freak like me, you know, out there. <laughs> so what's the largest crowd you've played to with Sepultura? It's definitely like Rock and Real. I, I believe it was over like 100,000 people. Insane. How do you like wrap your brain around that? Like sleeping on people's floors and playing tiny little clubs to <laughs> all of a sudden being in front of 100,000 people? Well, I mean, there was definitely that kind of like build up to that. So there was many years in between where I felt that, you know, staying very focused on, on a path of wanting to play professionally in front of a lot of people uh, with other professionals was a goal at a very young age, like 15. But I never imagined to make money from it or to play in Brazil or anything like that or in front of a crowd that large. But um, it seems almost natural in a way, uh, just for the fact that I was very fortunate for my life to be in positions where I wanted to be, you know, like I really stayed around the music scene as bad as things were going on around, you know, around me. Um, the struggle of, of being turned down or getting, you know, just the right timing, you know, it's really a, a combination of things, but I really felt that I worked really hard to, to be there in front of all those people you know, having that connection with the past and, and doing all those things yeah. was every point was important in order leading up to playing in front of so many people. I just figured out why we're losing you from every every now and then. It's because you're living up in the Hollywood Hills. Every time I'm up there, I can't get a connection on my phone. Yeah, it's, it <laughs> sucks. It's horrible connection. It's like, especially now, they're like banging away all day, like just literally right outside my door. But yeah, the Hollywood Hills sucks. For this by the way people can't see this i don't think but matt are you wearing pajamas no i'm wearing i'm wearing like a like a button down i'm, oh, I'm in my nice. i'm in my vacation bacon gear like, <laughs> like all i do is like miami vice shit chris <laughs> matt where are you i'm in london oh what really yeah oh my god is it raining i'm an american in london i'm actually french <laughs> I'm yeah. so sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> okay, so I didn't mean to insult you. I don't know. Diverse backgrounds. No, so I had a question about sort of your come up, and so then you enter Sepultura, and it's like a whole new thing. And I was talking about doing this interview earlier with my friend Robert Hahn from Over Enemy, who I wanted to shout out. He brought up a really, really good question. Right now, we're watching Fear Factory go through a change of singer, right? Mm. And you're like one of the most successful second vocalists in metal history. Who's the first? Dio. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> sorry. What would your advice be to the new singer of Fear Factory kind of trying to step into those shoes? Like what helped you step into Max's shoes? First thing is to really be yourself, of course. I, I think there were so many people sending tapes for the audition to become the vocalist of Sepultura. That's what they did. They were looking for somebody to, it didn't matter, you know, from where they were in the world. They had one tape with one song with no vocals and you could do a new song and you could do whatever you want on that, you know, lyrically and first chorus, whatever. And I did it the way that I wanted to do it, just being myself. I was coming from a hardcore scene, so I wasn't screaming the entire time and I wasn't trying to sound like the old singer. And so that was something I would suggest to somebody trying out for a band like Fear Factory or, you know, to really be yourself and don't try to imitate like the old vocalist. Be you. 
You know, it's the most important thing. And that's what they were looking for, at least the Sepultura. They wanted somebody that wasn't imitating the old singer, which a lot of people did. You know, they figured, oh, they want, and the record label wanted that too. They wanted a, a clone, pretty much. You know, and that can be horrible in the end because fans are going to know. They're like, oh, you're trying to duplicate this guy? That's something that never would have happened with Sepultura to try to duplicate um, the old singer. The same with Fear Factor, you know, it's, it's something that, take that off the table, you know, first of all. So I think for a new singer, you have to really focus on the moment. You know, it's your moment to do your part and you really have to stand out. So that's what I concentrated on. Like nothing of the past had anything to do with me. I didn't, it, it wasn't my past, you know, so I really wasn't upset about any of that stuff. I was only excited and very positive about what I could do in the future. And I knew that it would take time for fans to get adjusted as well. Like I didn't expect it to happen right overnight. I, I, I felt that there needed to be an evolution uh, with the band, getting to know each other, touring, you know, going through the writing process a, a few times, you know, in the studio in order to have that strength that the band had, you know, being together for so many years, you know? So I felt it was important to really relax and not to think like, oh, everything's going to change overnight. No, just to take those slow steps and to really focus on what you want to do and where you see the band going in the future. I mean, I think, I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? I, I know that you had to take some lumps when you get started and then there, there was, oh, a lot yeah. of, there was um, you know, people who didn't want, want to hear anything about you, but the proof is in the, <laughs> you know, the proof is that it's 20 something years later and, and you, you guys arguably just released one of your strongest records ever. So, you know, that's the proof right there, you know? Absolutely, man. Since you kept bringing up Cleveland, are you a Cedar Point guy? <laughs> yes. I love that place, man. I, can, I mean, it, the, for the people that do know it, it's, it's a place you'll never forget, man. It's the most terrifying rides. I have to say, as I got older, the rides yeah. became so scary, man. Yeah, like man. I'm going to try to go this summer. I'm going to try to go this summer because I'm, I I love that place. Oh, man. That place is magical, man. I've had so many great times there. Are you a roller coaster guy, Matt? <laughs> no, I didn't think you would be. <laughs> Chris, like, you know that I try to, like, minimize my life experience. Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I just want to... <laughs> Your point is, like, it's like it's like heaven for, for if you're a roller coaster enthusiast. It's basically a roller coaster only park, and they have, like, something like four of the top ten craziest roller coasters, roller coasters in the world. world. Yeah, Chris, Chris, have you ever heard of Action Park in New Jersey? Yeah, of course. Is it, didn't they nickname it Class Action Park? <laughs> it's, in, it's incredible. Yes, <laughs> I haven't seen that uh, documentary yet. But I really want. It's to. a great documentary. Oh my god, it's it's hilarious. All right, we, so we're gonna last thing here. We started this last week. So last week we were interviewing Monty Pittman from Ministry and Prong, and oh, nice. he had a song called "Guilty Pleasures" that he actually recorded. I mean, sorry, um, filmed the music video for at Beauty and Essence. So we got to talking about guilty pleasures, and I asked him what one of his guilty pleasures was. And his answer was so ridiculous that we've decided we're going to ask every every guest going forward. So Monty's guilty pleasure is going on Instagram and watching cat wrestling videos. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, it's as weird as it sounds. Uh, we checked it out afterwards, and it was a little bit weird. 
Um, it's just basically video after video of like house cats rolling around on the floor and he's obsessed with them. So it's you're up next, man. What is a guilty pleasure that people don't know about you that you can actually talk about? Well, it's definitely not cat wrestling. <laughs> I guess it would have to be donuts. God donuts? Damn okay. God damn them the hell. So with, with the whole like vegan world or the plant-based world, that was the one thing that they got down perfectly are baked goods. You know, they're real. I mean, there's no way you, anyone can tell the difference really who's not a professional with a lot of plant-based vegan baked goods nowadays. They're just so good. But my God, man, the whole donut game. Ah, and then by the way, ah, this is the city of donuts. I've never seen so many donut shops in my life. I know. Uh, it's, I'm like, what's going on? Like this donut friend in LA, I, I hate them. I damn them to hell. I write on their site, like, stop making shit. You know, this is killing me. You got it's a favorite like, place you want to shout out? Yeah, Donut Friend and uh, Root Donuts. Donut Friend. Yeah. There's two locations, those bastards. And then there's, I just saw there's a Voodoo Donuts in LA now. But uh, Donut Friend Amazing. is entirely, entirely vegan. And they, ah, they're so fresh and I hate them. I really, truly despise them. But that is a guilty pleasure of like ordering like, half a dozen of those and taking a few days to go through those. I'm a sidecar donuts guy, but I don't know if they have anything vegan or, or gluten free or whatever. Cause I don't, I just go for the, I go for the peanut butter, chocolate and bacon. I'm not like thinking. In Jesus any way Christ. All right. All right. You're just getting it all in there. <laughs> all right. So donuts. So donuts. Right, right. But listen, I learned something every, every time now that we do this, Matt, because I went and I went and watched cat wrestling videos. And now I'm going to go check out Donut Friend and Voodoo Donuts. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Voodoo Donuts. If you've heard of Voodoo, Do Voodoo Donuts, Matt? Yeah, of course. No? of course. Okay, yeah. I've been there. They make all shapes and sizes and stuff, too. I'm going to check it out for sure. That one's been in LA for a while. But anyway. Yeah. Mr. Green, we're going to have... I'm, I'm taking off uh, for a couple... For, for a little while. I'm actually going to see my mom for the first time since 2019 oh, wow. and i'm very excited but um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a shout when i'm back because i want to get yeah you definitely hit me up man let's, we've, got a, let's... we've got a ton of new vegan items on the menu that i'd love for you to try and matter of fact last week we um started working with a new company um called daring that has this really great plant-based chicken that is unbelievable are uh, you really you close your eyes and you think you're eating rotisserie chicken I am the guinea pig man i got you, you yes put all that on me <laughs> i will give you straight Honest answers. Awesome. And of course, I have my show, Highway to Health, a TV show about plant-based lifestyle and traveling around. So I've done quite a bit of vegan eating all around the world. Nice. And, and plug, plug yourself. Where can people find that? Uh, right now, we're on, we're on the gram under Highway to Health. Tanya O'Callaghan is the co-host. She's from Ireland. She's playing with uh, D. Schneider. She's played with D. Schneider. Um, she's playing with uh, Stephen Adler's band right now. Um, she's an amazing bass player, but we do the show together. And so you can find us on Instagram. We're shopping the show um, right now to some networks. Um, so we're, we're open. So hopefully very soon uh, this will be showing. We shot all the episodes. It's eight episodes in the first season. We were in Ireland. We were in Cleveland, our home, my hometown, her hometown in Ireland. We were in Brazil. We were on the Kiss Cruise. You know, we have a lot of different artists, musicians, chefs, fighters. You know, we have everybody on the show. So I can't wait till it's out. 
Great. I'll see you on season two. All right. Yeah, you will. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. I'll give you a call in a couple of weeks. We'll hang out and do the thing. Thank you, Derek. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Merci beaucoup, Matt. Merci. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.